All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Harvest Community Church. My name is Brian, and uh, I want to be uh, probably not the first, but I want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. Uh, it's so important that we recognize moms, and we think about moms, and we celebrate moms. And We'll get to it in a minute, but I know sometimes Mother's Day is a painful day, too, and so we want to acknowledge that. But that said, I, I'm sure you know, especially those of you that are raising kids right now, it's expensive to be a mom. Like, you know, everywhere you go, everything costs money. And uh, there are these uh, folks that release annual surveys and annual salary things saying, you know, here's how much it sort of costs to be a mom. And you may find those helpful, you may not. But the price of being a mom is going up. And there's no way around it. If you look at the calculations and you think of all the things that moms do, I mean, just think about it for a second. Moms are academic advisors. Moms are accountants. They balance the books. They're art directors. They're athletic directors. They're chauffeurs. They're coaches. They're CEOs. They're daycare providers. They're dietitians. They're cooks, certainly. They're instructors. They're event planners. Uh, they're facility directors, they're groundskeepers. And you think about any role anywhere, mom does most of it. They're interior designers, they're janitors, sometimes they're judges, they have to settle disputes. They're, they're uh, laundry managers, they're logistics analysts, they're maintenance supervisors. If you've got teenagers, you know, sometimes you're the network administrator, like, mom, we don't have Wi-Fi. You know, moms are photographers and plumbers and public school teachers, private school teachers. Moms have to be therapists and psychologists, sometimes doctors, certainly sometimes nurses. Moms are social media specialists. They're work-life managers. Moms, moms do it all. And it's expensive to be a mom. And with the cost of inflation right now, I think the price of momming has gone up, don't you? I certainly want to acknowledge all of our moms today and just celebrate you thank you for your contributions to your kids lives to your grandkids lives thank you for your contributions to our church every time it's a mother's day i think it's a good reminder for those of us here at harvest that we value families and we value kids and we always love having kids in our services and babies in our services and we are a church that has just gone all in on saying we value young families and we want you here. And so to those of you that are raising your kids right now, we just cheerlead you. We are here to help you. We are here to create an environment where your kids are nurtured in the faith and pointed to faith. And hopefully some of us can be um, you know, folks who can encourage your kids in the faith as they grow up. I do want to acknowledge, though, as I mentioned before, Mother's Day can be a painful day. Right? For some of us, we've lost mom, maybe even recently. For some of us, uh, we want to be a mom, we long to be a mom, and it, it just hasn't happened. Some of us have lost babies. Mother's Day is painful for a whole lot of us. It's complicated for a whole lot of us. You just think about it. You know, as you grow up and your kids have kids, then who is who is mom about? Some of us don't have healthy relationships with our mom and mom's day can be complicated but certainly mother's day is in spite of all of those things a day of celebration and in a lot of ways a day of comfort and so if you're grieving today we grieve with you and if you're hurting today we hurt with you and if you're celebrating today 
certainly we celebrate with you. So would you pray for me as we recognize oh, with me as we recognize moms today? Dear Jesus, we thank you for all of our moms. Those that are still here and those are with you in heaven. Thank you for the countless, countless ways moms contribute to our lives. Lord, as we study your word today, we pray that your word would be a real blessing to the moms that are here because they often, as we'll talk about, handle more than life can handle. And so, Lord, today we pray your blessing on every mom here. We pray your comfort on those of us that are grieving. And we acknowledge that that grief is heavy. Lord, we pray strength for all of us who find Mother's Day to be a, a complicated, complex day. We pray wisdom and strength. And Lord, for everybody who's celebrating today, with deep gratitude, we just say thank you for giving us moms. And Lord, I pray for those that are raising their kids right now. I pray for great empowerment and great wisdom. I pray that you would help them for the day in, day out life-giving, life-giving joy, but life-giving privilege of motherhood. Lord, we pray your blessing on all the moms among us today, the grandmothers as well. Thank you for them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been in a series called Asking for a Friend, right? Lots of questions that we're asking. And we've gone through, honestly, some really hard questions, right? We've talked about uh, suicide and we've talked about um, some other very difficult topics along the way. Today, I want to ask a, a very specific question, but it's a question that's a little skewed because of a myth that rolls around. And so here's the question we're asking for a friend today. If God won't give me more than I can handle, if God won't give me more than I can handle, why am I having so much trouble handling what I've been given? If God won't give me more than I can handle, why am I having trouble handling all that I've been given? And I want to tell you this trick question. Because the truth is, the Bible nowhere says God won't give you more than you can handle. It's a myth. It's a, it's a legend, if you will. You know, I mean, maybe it was Ben Franklin. I, I don't know. I just know it's not in the Bible. It's a myth that God won't give you more than you can handle. But I'll tell you, when I think about moms, I think about people who handle more than they can handle. And if I were to ask any of you moms here today, how did you do it? How did you get through it? Sometimes you'd say things like, I don't know. Sometimes you'd say, just by the grace of God. Sometimes you might say, we faked it until we made it. You know, we figured it out. Some of you would say, I honestly have no earthly idea. We just did. But what I do know is that if you make this statement a sort of normal part of how you try to encourage folks, it ends up accomplishing the opposite. If, if I go to a mom who's struggling and I, and I say, hey, don't worry, God won't give you more than you can handle. I'm not sure that offers a whole lot of help or a whole lot of hope. Right? We mean well when we say it. And I think we mean it as encouragement. Like you're stronger than you know. But can you imagine being a parent who's just lost their baby or their child? 
and someone saying, don't worry, God won't give you more than you can handle. Like That's just insensitive. And I've had friends lose babies. I've had friends tell me people have said that. Can you imagine being a wife who's just lost her husband to cancer? Don't worry, God won't give you more than you can handle. Can you imagine telling a new mom that's struggling with postpartum depression and the baby and all that she's juggling and you, we would say, don't, don't worry, you got this. God won't give you more than you can handle. But life is giving you more than you can handle. What are you supposed to do? Can you imagine saying, to a brother or sister that is, as we talked about a few weeks ago, so overwhelmed with life that the suicide looks like the only way out. It's not enough to say God won't give you more than you can handle. Because for one, it's not biblical. And for two, it implies that we're supposed to already have the strength I mean, this is up there with that God helps those who help themselves. Not in the Bible. But think about our Bibles. I mean, it's full of stories of people who got through what they needed to get through. But what I want you to know is they weren't the solution. Try telling Abraham when God says, sacrifice your only son, your son of the promise. Try telling Abraham, God won't give you more than you can handle. Moses leading a stubborn people away from Pharaoh and out of the promised land, impossibility after impossibility. Daniel, who's punished greatly over and over again for doing the right thing. David, who made a complete disaster of his family and his life and his kingdom. Jonah in the belly of a whale. The Bible is full of stories where life gave someone more than they can handle and they weren't up to the task, but God was. And so I think we have to take the myth and turn it on its head. I do want to be honest with you, though. I think a lot of us think the Bible says this because of something in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says there, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He, God, will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. This is not about the difficulties of life. This verse is not about the painful, uh, the, the overwhelming parts of life. This verse is specifically about temptation. And so it gets twisted sometimes to say, don't worry about it. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. The point is... That as it relates to temptation, God provides a way out. We have to be open and looking for it. But when it comes to life, life will give you more than you can handle. Right? Whether it's someone close to you who dies, whether it's the time that you stand before the doctor and they say the dreaded word cancer. When someone says, you know what, I don't love you anymore. Or maybe when you're at the 
the most difficult part of a relationship or a friendship where things are just totally strained or or maybe it's the moment you stand in the doctor's office and they say guess what you're pregnant the reality is life will give you more than you can handle and what we like to do is take sayings like that and just pretend we're stronger than we really are. And so very quickly, I want to give you three problems with the illusion of pretend strength. Because we're often sort of puffing ourselves up and sort of faking it till we make it to get through things. And so three problems with the illusion of pretend strength. One, we love to pretend to be more powerful than we really are, right? We, we, we dream of being Superman or Superwoman. Inside we know we're not, but, but we're so worried about everybody else, we, we've got to be strong. And so moms, you know this particularly, I've got to be strong for the kids. I've got to be strong for my family. I've got to be strong for my coworkers. I've got to be strong for my teammates. And so we pretend to be more powerful than we really are. Number two, we are comfort creatures, right? We like things easy. We pray for that often. God, God, make this an easy path. God, relieve this pressure, relieve this pain, relieve this difficulty. Number three, we struggle to admit that we need help from outside ourselves, that we need hope from outside ourselves, that we need strength from outside ourselves. We struggle to admit that we need help because we struggle with both insecurity and trust. Insecurity and trust. Insecurity is where we're always going, oh, what is everybody else going to think? And so we puff up and we pretend to be strong when we're not. And we struggle with trust. I don't know if someone's still going to love me, if they knew who I really was, if they knew my real struggles on the inside. Would they still love me? And since we have an epidemic of trust in our culture, and since so much of us, so many of us struggle with social media and images we see and the pretend perfect life versus our real lives, we struggle greatly with the the, the pressure to to create an illusion that we're strong. When in reality, we know, deep down, we know. We know we're not. So I want to take you to a book of the Bible. And I want to just show you an, an example. I could show you many in almost any book of the Bible. But I want to take you through part of Paul's journey. And it's a text we've studied before. But we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in just a moment. I'm going to hone in on a couple of key verses there. But let me set it up with this. If you think, let's start with 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul right out of the gate tells us how difficult and how overwhelming life was right you might remember this we actually used this verse when we talked about suicide just a few weeks ago second corinthians chapter 1 verse 8 we do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters about the troubles we experienced in the province of asia we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself indeed we felt we had received the sentence of death but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on god who raises the dead. He gives us the answer there in that verse, that when we're out, when we're tapped, when we have nothing, the point is to rely on God, and I will get to that. But if you keep reading 2 Corinthians, you find various descriptions of the troubles that 
that Paul experienced. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Later in that chapter, he says, Though Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inward we, inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, which since what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. Chapter 6, verse 3, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so that our Ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as service of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. These are the kinds of difficulties that Paul experienced. Verse 8 there, he says, through glory and dishonor, through bad report and good report. People said awful things about him, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Paul experienced all that life had and all that life threw his way and it was more than he could do on his own but he had a secret he had a secret source of strength and it was not himself it was not that god wouldn't give him more than he could handle it's that god could handle what he'd be given Chapter 11, 2 Corinthians, verse 23. Listen to him describe his difficulties for doing what? For, for telling people that Jesus died and rose again for their sins. He says, <laughs> are they servants of Christ? Ten minutes and people were accusing him of various things. He says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. The 40 lashes was expected to kill you, so they gave you 39. He says five times that happened. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night at sea and a day, a, 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 and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. Everywhere I go, it's danger, danger, danger. I've labored and toiled, and I've often gone with, without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led to sin and I do not inwardly burn it? He is saying we're, he's just like all of us. That he's been through some extremely difficult things. And yet he's just a man. He's human. So I want to take you to this core text I want to read today. It's in the next chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to start in verse 7. He says, I'm going to start in verse 6, middle of verse 6. 
but I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations. He's talking about these revelations that were given to him. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. And three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight, I choose joy in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's what Paul is saying. The myth is not what God is saying. He is not saying that God will not give you more than you can handle. I believe he is specifically saying, life will give me more than I can handle, but not more than Jesus can handle. Let me say that again. It's the one thing that today is about, just to be clear. If you're taking filling in blanks. <laughs> life will always give me more than I can handle, but not more than Jesus can handle. Because thank God, the guy who rose from the dead can handle what life throws his way. And so what I need is some radical honesty with myself. That I am not as strong as I like to pretend I am. That Christ is infinitely more powerful than I can understand or imagine. On one hand, you have me who pretends to be strong, but is truly weak. And on the other hand, you have Jesus who is strong, but surrenders that, came in weakness, came as a human, right? Lives as God in the flesh and lay down, lays down his life in sacrifice and servanthood. But having died for our sins, risen from the dead, alive today, Jesus is alive in me to bring his strength and his power. And so if you're out of strength today, if you're facing more than you can handle today, I just want to hone in on these verses here in verse 8, verse 9, in this section. And I want to encourage you. Life will give you more than you can handle. Maybe that's you today. If you've got more than you can handle today, turn to Jesus now. I do. Dude, just, 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 just break through the pride. And say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. Because I can't handle this. And I don't want to try to handle it on my own. And so Jesus, I'm turning to you. Someone has said that God doesn't give us what we can handle. God helps us handle what we are given. I think we need a redefinition of what it means to be strong. Not in the pretend sense. If you think about it, it takes real strength to admit you're not strong. Kind of an oxymoron, if you will. But, but to admit I'm not strong takes an incredible amount of strength. To pretend to be strong and to fake it? 
that doesn't take as much strength. So I want to give you four disciplines for finding strength that are right here in these verses. Number one, radical prayer. Right? Radical prayer. Prayer is when I'm asking God and when I'm talking to God and when I'm laying things at God's feet and when I'm listening to God and when I'm trying to hear from God and and when I'm even surrendering to God, when I'm accepting what God allows. And so I need radical prayer in my life. I need a radical sense of asking for what I need but a really also radical sense of trusting God with what I get. There has to be a sense in which, on one hand, I'm saying to Jesus, you know, Jesus heal, Jesus take this away, Jesus give me strength, Jesus see me through this, Jesus carry me when I can't carry myself, Jesus be with my child, Jesus, right? There's, there's a real sense in which the Bible tells us to ask. And so there is, it says, ask and seek and knock. And so there's no problem at all with saying, God, please do this. But God's timing is is beyond understanding. And so it's good to ask, but it's also good to accept what God brings my way. And so I need a radical prayer life where I'm just saying, God, please, That's what Paul was talking about, right? Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. We don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. There's tons of speculation about what it might be. I mean, it might have been something internal, right? This is a guy who persecuted and was responsible for the death of Christians. This is a guy who, who had various ailments, we know, maybe some eye problems. There's speculation about all kinds of other things. The bottom line is we don't know what his thorn in the flesh was, we know that it is called here a, a messenger of Satan that was given to torment him. But God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul was willing to plead with God and ask the Lord to take it away. But he was also willing to accept what God said. And so we need this radical prayer, radical acceptance. In our lives, and I hope if you're struggling today, if life's overwhelming for you right now, then up your prayer life and put some time in with the Lord. Not just telling Him what you want, but surrendering to what He gives. Number two, we need radical grace. Radical grace that I need to build my life on His promises, not His explanations. Right? I need the radical grace of God in my life where God gives me far more than I'll ever deserve. Grace is, is God's riches at Christ's expense. Right, It's all of the good and the kindness and the blessing that God gives me. Not just forgiveness and not just mercy. It's not just what God takes away. It's His presence and it's His promises. And it's all that God does in my life. And I need a radical building of my life on His grace specifically on His promises. When we plead with the Lord, please take this away from me. Please take this away from me. Do you, do you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Right? If it's possible, take this cup from me. Right? Three times. I think that's part of why Paul prayed three times. Of course, there was Jesus, yet not what I will, but you will. Not my will be done, but your will be done. 
That's that radical surrender, radical acceptance I was just talking about. Paul says that he radically asked God to remove this and God's answer was that His grace is sufficient for His power was made perfect in weakness. And he says, okay, then I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power might rest on me. This is the same Paul who, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Like, that's my identity. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I am who I am. And my identity is that I am graced by God. I am loved by God. I think... That Paul needed a reminder that God's grace is sufficient. That there is never a shortage of the goodness of God in our lives. And what we want is for God to take away some things. The struggle or the suffering or the hardship or the affliction or the problem. But often what God does is He adds something in the affliction and the problem. He adds His unmerited favor and that's enough. He adds His grace and His presence and His strength. And so what God brings is better than what we're asking God to take away. And in a lot of ways, we would never know the strength of God if we didn't go through the turmoil that makes us weak. And so I need to build my life on His promise to be there, His promise to strengthen rather than His explanations. When life gets really painful and really difficult, we want God to explain things. And the reality is we often don't get it. You know, I'm struck by something in my Bible. You know, the problem of pain and difficulty was a real issue in Job's life. And you know the story of Job, don't you, right? Devil and God got together and the devil said, hey, what about Job? Like, you know, the only reason he follows you is because you bless him. If you take all that away, he's going to deny you. And God says, I don't think so. And, and Job goes through all this disastrous stuff because the devil is tormenting his life, trying to prove that he will deny God. And Job doesn't. Everybody, Job's wife says, curse God and die, man. You know what's interesting about Job's story? Job never gets the explanation that you and I get. Because we read his story in detail, but Job never got that. And that just reminds me that sometimes I'm not going to have, I'm not going to know why. I'm not going to know why God allowed the cancer. I'm not going to know why God allowed the back pain. Or I'm not going to know why God allowed the headache. Or I'm not going to know why God allowed. Sometimes we're just not going to know. But what we do know is we have His grace. And so radical prayer, radical grace. Number three, radical contentment. Jesus and His grace are enough. And I just need to be willing to rely on that. And, and we often, with goodness and the grace of God and the strength of God and the presence of God, all that we have in God, we're often going, yeah, yeah but can I also have? Yeah, but, I mean, we're like kids with, when we were kids with our parents. You know, yes, I'll take that, I'll take that dessert, but uh, can I also have a piece of candy? Yeah, but, yeah, but, can you, mom, dad, can you, can you, can you? I'm certain as as parents, certainly on a Mother's Day, we've all thought to ourselves, when is what I've already done enough? 
I wonder sometimes if God doesn't occasionally with me just go, Brian, can't you trust me by now? Like I've done enough. And so I need a radical sense of contentment. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Verse nine, my grace is enough for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so if I have Christ, Christ is enough. And wonder what you want to be enough in your life. You know, I mean, is it the healing? Is it the new job? Is it the house or the car or the, the what? Because we try to find our security everywhere else but God. And we turn to family and friends and power and possessions and position and finances. And, and, and we try to find her enough in everything else. And those things never satisfy and they're never enough. And Jesus is enough. And so will I just embrace that even in my pain? To be able to say, you know what, God, I don't feel very well today. But I don't have to feel well for you, Jesus, to be enough. And I think once you come to a place of realizing that life has suffering, and not all of it can be placed at God's feet in the sense of blame. In fact, vast majority of it is all ours. There's got to be a real place in our lives to say, Jesus, I know that life's given me more than I can handle. And I know this thing right now I'm facing is I don't know what to do. But what I know, Jesus, is your, your enough. And so if you're like me and you struggle with headaches or who knows what it is, there's a place where you can just say, today, Jesus, be enough. Today, be enough. We've got one more for you. It's radical faith or radical trust, if you will. It's letting go of control in order to trust the one who really is. We talk about this a lot. I know this is not a new concept, but this should just make total sense to us that if we're people of faith, then often we'll be in positions that require faith. And so we want to embrace a radical trust This is God, I trust you. Verse 10, Paul said, it's why for Christ's sake, like I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Of course, in the Lord, in the sense of being strengthened by God, being strengthened in the Lord. Can you imagine what life would be like if we were never weak and always strong, if we were just always strong in ourselves? When the insults come, if I'm strong, I'm returning insult for insult, right? When the, when the pains and difficulties come, if I'm strong, then I'm relying on myself to emerge through those discomforts. If I'm strong, when persecution comes, then I want to turn it right back on a person. If I'm strong, I'm going to use my resources to get out of the calamity or the distress or whatever it is. I'm going to marshal everything I have for escape. 
And what God does is often endurance, not escape. And so I wonder a lot, and maybe you do too, I look in the mirror some days and I wonder, am I more in love with Jesus or am I more in love with what Jesus can do for me? Am I more in love with Jesus or am I more in love with what I want Jesus to do for me? And in a lot of ways, I'm saying to you that who Jesus is, is enough. Even on the bad days. Even on the days where cancer is the answer. Even on the days where death does happen. Even on the days that are the most overwhelming, difficult, painful days of life. Is God still good when the answers to our prayers are not the answers we want to hear? Is God still good? And the answer is yes, and His grace is enough. Life will give you more than you can handle. But not more than Jesus can handle. And we've talked about, like, when we go through grief, we grieve with hope. When we go through difficulty, we find strength and hope, right? We have a resurrection God. But God's timing is not always right here, right now, in the immediacy we ask for. Life will give you more than you can handle, but not more than Jesus can handle. So turn to him. Good, bad, or ugly. Find hope and find strength today. I'm going to end with our two prayers. If you need Jesus today, would you receive him? You just pray with me like this. Dear Jesus, I admit that I am not enough, that I fall short, that I am a sinner as you say, that I turn to everything but you. And so Lord, forgive me. I put my faith in you. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. Since you're alive today, take over my life. Be my God and live right here in me, even though I don't deserve it, Jesus. And day in and day out, be the strength I need. Be the strength I need, Jesus, I pray in your name. Amen. If that's you and you prayed to follow Jesus for the first time today, I would absolutely love to know that. You can uh, tell someone in the room. You can uh, tell someone uh, online. You can fill out a digital communication card or a physical communication card. You can email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at HarvestChurchEugene.com. I would love, love, love to hear with you. And we would love to celebrate that you've given your life to Jesus Christ. It's the most powerful decision of life. A lot of you prayed like that maybe days ago or weeks ago or maybe back at Easter or, or, or maybe years or decades ago and you're following Jesus and life has given you more than you can handle. Maybe you'd pray this prayer of application with me. Dear Jesus, in fact, all of us out loud, dear Jesus, thank you that you can handle whatever life throws my way. And I admit that it's more than I can handle. And we cast our hope 
and our help into your hands. Strengthen us with prayer in the coming days. Give us stronger experiences of your grace. Strengthen our contentment and our trust in you. And give us the strength to let go of control. And trust you to do what's best in your time. Jesus' life has given us more than we can handle. But we turn to you. Because we know you can handle what we're going through. Jesus, thank you for that hope. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. I'm so glad you're worshiping Jesus with us today. Uh, Again, I love you guys. I can't wait.